The reading this morning will be taken from 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14. If you're reading from the Pew Bible, that's page 1052. Page 1052. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Good morning. So thankful for y'all today. Some of y'all saw me sprint back to the lobby. I'd left my microphone and my control out the, in the lobby. And I came up and it wasn't on the front row. So I, I've gotten my morning exercise today. I'm glad that you are here and uh, hope that you don't take a nap. I'm glad that you're here and thankful for this opportunity we have to come together and to worship God. Something to keep in mind, last Sunday night our elders announced that uh, during the month of July, toward the end of July, we're going to be taking names for those uh, who to add more elders. We want you to be praying about that every day. We want you to be reading through the book of 1 Timothy, through the book of Titus, through the book of Acts, and, and look at some of the different things that elders are asked to do, and think about the men that you would like to have as shepherds here. We have a wonderful group of shepherds, but we would like to add more to be able to better shepherd this congregation. So please be praying about that uh, every day as we go into this next month. And let's begin this morning with our own prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are great and you are mighty and you are awesome and you are absolutely powerful. And we come before you today asking you to bless us with your word. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us the access to your word, that we have multiple copies that are readable, many translations. To be able to see in your word what you would have us to do, Lord, give us the strength to live out what you have told us to do. And Lord, give us courage to be your people. Lord, we're thankful for uh, those who serve as our shepherds. We pray that you will add more that will be qualified through your word to help make a difference and keep continue to lead this church as we want to be a congregation that makes a difference for eternity in this community and throughout the world. In Christ name we pray, amen. It has been said that in the London Times, there was an article that was put in in the want ads. It was trying to get people for a job, and, and it said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton. Would you sign up for this? You're going to work hard, not going to get paid much, and you'll probably die but we'll write about you after you're gone. Would you sign up for this? As the story goes, 5,000 men sent in their applications, if you will, and he chose 27. What were they going to do? They were going to go to uh, explore 
Antarctica. Doesn't this look like a great winter cruise right here? I don't think this is Carnival or Princess. I'm not sure. I doubt it's a Disney. I mean, this is a not an easy cruise to make. And guess what? If you went with him on a trip, people did die. But can you imagine putting an ad like that and 5,000 people saying, I want to be a part of that? Something that is dangerous, something that is stressful, something that, that might cost your life, but there is honor and recognition and respect that comes by doing it. Let's change directions. If I were to ask you where the most stressful jobs in the U.S., what would you say they are? Jobs that are that are stressful also have a, uh, some of them have a great amount of danger to them. Uh, when I look through this, it's funny, everybody's list is different based on who put the list together. But one of the most consistent I saw, I know you can't read this really well, but, but it, the first one that says that military personnel would be the most stressful job and dangerous job, followed by firefighters and airline pilots and then police officers and then event coordinators. Why? Because they can't control the rain, okay? I, I think that's it. But I think they left some groups off that list. One, what about the people that have to climb up on the communication towers and fix those? Reading about it, this is the, one of the most deadly jobs in America. The people who have to climb up to the top of these and, and work on those. What about how do you leave the bomb squad off the most stressful jobs? One wrong move and everything's gone. What about being a mom? You look at this picture, and it's funny. Some people see it funny. Some of us see what would happen where we grew up, and that little sword would become a paddle. And we get whipped all the way to time out. That's how it would work for us, right? That's sort of how, how it would go. When we think of stressful jobs and dangerous jobs, would you think preaching might be one of them? I mean, we only work two days a week. I mean, how in the world can that be stressful, right? We only work a couple hours a week. How, how can that be stressful? And, and, and I love this, you know, uh, who said ministry is stressful? I'm 28 and feeling great. I love this profile from this guy. You know, it, it doesn't affect you at all. Attitude, hair loss, I mean, nothing at all. It is said that only one out of every 10 men who start as ministers will retire from spending their life in ministry. It's according to the Schaefer Institute that does studies on, on, on how many people stay in ministry. This is across every religious group in the U.S. It says only one out of every ten will stay with this their entire life. What that means is a lot of people that send in that resignation letter that, that they quit. And, and it must be because there's some different reasons. And I'm going to guess stress is one of them. I want us to look this morning at a a minister, I believe, was stressed and had a very stressful job. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're not only going to spend today in 1 Timothy. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at 1 Timothy. And I want us to look at this, this book, and I want us to read it probably as though you have never read it before. Coming at it, would, would you want to take a job at this congregation? Timothy has a great name. If you name your child Timothy, that means one who honors God. What a great name to have. One who honors God. God, Tim's over there going, yep, that's me. Tim Thomas is like, yeah, that's it. We look and we see that, and, and there's a personal letter from, from Paul to him, and what a great thought that the Apostle Paul would write a personal letter to this young man. 
And he even says, my true child in the faith. Paul had a special relationship with this young man, Timothy. He had met him in Lystra. He had met his mother and grandmother who, who had been so adamant about bringing him along in the faith and teaching him the scriptures. And he had a great relationship with him. One of the misconceptions about Timothy is how young he was. Why? Because, I'm going to tell you, it makes a great youth rally to talk about what? Let no man despise your youth. And so since we love that verse, we try to make Timothy out to be 13, to be a teenager, more than likely. Uh, the word there that for youth that is used basically means anybody up to 40. Some of you are excited to know that you're 40 and still young. I mean, that is a great, a great thing. But realize that Timothy had a need for a mentor. For a spiritual mentor, somebody to come along and somebody to take him under his wing. Why? Because even though his mother and grandmother were faithful Christians, his father was an unbeliever and also wasn't Jewish. Many believe his father had already passed. And so what does he need? He needs someone who saw something special in him who saw that, that, that he would make a great minister for God, and he is somebody who did this. Paul poured his life into Timothy, as he did Titus and other people, and he calls him my true son in the faith. When you think of Paul and Timothy, I, I want you to think Yoda and Luke, okay? You have the, the, the one who is wise, the one who has been out there training the next generation. Why? Because Paul knows he won't be around forever. Paul knows that he'll be going. That's why he tells Timothy later on to do what? What I've taught to you, you teach to faithful men who will do what? Will continue to teach it. He wants to pour his life into him so that he will continue teaching the Word. And Ephesus is an interesting place. Paul had already spent three years there at this congregation. And he wants Timothy to go in and to fill his position while he goes on another mission trip to Macedonia. And the thing is, he's got to go in, and can I tell you, it is a stressful situation. He's told to fight the good fight later in chapter 1, but look at the stuff he gets to do. Hey, Timothy, you've got to stay, and the first thing you've got to do is deal with the false teachers in the church. Then I need you to tell men to be more spiritual and women to be more spiritual. By the way, while you're at it, you need to tell women how to dress. Would you quit yet? And while you're that, we also need you to tell women how to be more godly and what their role should be at church. I need you to get older men and older women to actually teach the younger men and younger women. And I need you, even though you're under 40, I need you to go in and choose elders for congregations. I need you to go in and make sure good leadership is in there. So yes, you're going to go in as an outsider, if you will, and you're going to tell them which men are best qualified to lead that church because there's never any hurt feelings over that, correct? <laughs> oh, by the way, while you're at it, I need you to talk to slaves and masters, and I need you to correct their relationships. And I need you to tell rich how to deal with their money and make sure, I mean, can I tell you, this is not a sermon series any preacher wants to preach at their home congregation. It's a great meeting series. It's a great one to go, this is the one, you know, your friend calls you up and say, hey, would you come in and preach a series for me? What? First Timothy, would you deal with all this stuff? Because we call a lot of these, and in the preacher world, we call them U-Hall sermons. They're very moving sermons. Usually you get to move after them, okay? 
It's called moving company. Why? Because they deal with things that are difficult. This is what Timothy has to do. And he's in the town of Ephesus. Ephesus is a wealthy town. It is a town where, where there are also a couple of temples to Artemis and Diana, and Diana is the fertility god, or goddess, if you will. What do they do at that temple? All kinds of sexually immoral things. The people there in the town are wealthy. They have a background that uh, many of them have been in mysticism, cults, different things, very worldly, very much about idolatry. And he's saying, by the way, this is where I need you to go. Why? Why, why would you want to go there? Why does Paul say it's so important for Timothy to go there? I've, I've told this before. I remember my, my cousin who was going into full-time mission work overseas, and, and he came to me and said, Craig, I, I feel like I need to go. I need to go to Tanzania. Well, what are the dangers there? He said, well, there's civil unrest in the place where we're going. There, there are also, we have to keep dogs there that are really dangerous to, to keep the wild animals away. He kept going on and on and on. And I'm like, dude, you know that they need missionaries in Hawaii too, right? I said, why would you, why? Because he said, because they need it. Why does Paul say that, that you need to go to Ephesus? I need you there. Because Ephesus needs a healthy church. And a healthy church will only happen with healthy teaching. Ephesus needs a healthy church, and it will only happen with healthy teaching. Let's look at this letter together. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope, to him, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from our God and Father in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Don't read over this and miss the point. It's so easy many times in Paul's letters to jump past the, the, the salutation where he just starts in because, you know, he's going to dear so-and-so and go on. He says some beautiful things here. One, He refers to God and Jesus as what? Our Savior. That's, that's the main thing. And not only says he's our Savior, he said he is our, own, he is our hope. And he says he's our Lord. Guys, that's the message of the gospel. He starts out there, don't miss it. He didn't say he's mine. He didn't say he's just yours. He said he is our Savior. He is our hope. He is our Lord. Everything is about him. That's how he starts. And then he jumps in and says, but you must confront false teachers. Look what he says. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Let's sit here just for a second. This word urge is a lot stronger than you might think. It's not like Paul said, hey, uh, I think you ought to go to the Ephesus, but it's your call. You go whatever. You know, it's, it's sort of like when my dad at night, my dad didn't urge me to go to bed. He may have urged me, but there was a, that's where I was going. It was said with authority. That's what he is saying. I urged you. In other words, I told you. 
to you. You needed to go there and remain. That word remain actually means to be faithful in staying. To stay there, to be someone who is going to commit their life to these people that you may charge. That's a word we don't use a lot, except in credit. <laughs> charge means that you may command, you may teach, you may, as one having authority, tell other people not to teach something different. What he has asked him to do is not just have a sermon series on something, it's to confront face-to-face -face false teaching. Paul doesn't name people right here. It says certain persons. Later in the chapter, he names Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said, I've already called them out. I've already dealt with them. He said, I need you to teach this. And, and I love this cartoon. The elephant is laying there on the, on the counselor's uh, sofa. It says, sometimes it's even if I stand in the middle of the room and nobody acknowledges me. Paul tells Timothy, you have to go acknowledge the elephant in the room. You have to go bring this up. You have to talk about it. He said, not only that, he says, tell them not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. He said, what they want to spend their time doing is dealing with myths and endless genealogies. You have a, a pull-in from, from Judaism, a pull-in from, from, from the, the Greeks, a pull-in from all these different things. Spend time on everything in Scripture. Now, the genealogies may come from Scripture, but what was said is, I don't know how much you enjoy reading Chronicles or Numbers. Usually that's not our favorite thing. But they would take those lists and make up stories about people. Make up stories and elevate them to the same level of the gospel. Realize that the people here did not have a printed Bible yet. They did not have a New Testament printed Bible. When they say scriptures, they're looking at the Old Testament scriptures. They do have those. But what they're doing is they're, they're twisting those. He said it's leading to speculations instead of faith. Does it break your heart when you see a church building being knocked down? That happens quite a bit in Nashville unless they can be proved to be historic. Why? Because the parking there is worth more than the building. Here's the thing. Paul is saying you have to deal with these things because most churches aren't destroyed from the outside in. They're destroyed from the inside out. I think that's challenging. Because if you were to talk to most Christians, what would they tell you that's going to destroy the church? They'd bring up a social issue. What's going to destroy the church? Well, we have a, a country that's legalized abortion and legalized gay marriage. And homosexuality is, is accepted by so many. That's going to destroy the church. No, it's not. Are those things condemned in Scripture? Absolutely. Absolutely. What happens and what usually is the thing that destroys the church? This church is very rarely destroyed from the outside. It's destroyed from the inside out. And, and, and that's why Paul, let's go back a, a little bit. Paul met with the Ephesian elders. It's one of the few elders meetings you get to see in Scripture. Maybe the only elders meeting you ever get to, in script, get to see in Scripture. It's in the book of Acts. And Paul sits down with the, the elders there, and they actually go meet him in Miletus, and they, they have this talk, because Paul's about to get on a boat and go somewhere else. 
And this is what Paul tells them about the church there at Ephesus, a church that he loves, and these elders love him. It even says before it's over that, that the elders there were in tears. They, they loved him so much. Acts 20 verse 28 says, Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Where does he say destruction is coming from? Inside. He says what? Even of your own number. They'll be the ones that stand up and distort the truth. He said they'll be... Wolves realize that wolves are deadly, and they attack. What do wolves like to attack? Sheep. That's, that's what's going to happen. He's saying this is going to come from within. And he says the opposite is this. He said, here's what should happen from healthy teaching. Timothy, this is what happened. He said, the aim of our charge, what we want from our command and how we teach Healthy teaching should lead to love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. That's what healthy teaching should lead to. That is where it, it should go. That is what, 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 what we have there. That is what we see healthy teaching should lead to love. And that love comes, think about a well. And in that well, you dip out of it, and, and it's a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith that leads us to be the most loving people in the entire community where we live. Healthy teaching leads to healthy living. The word sound is an interesting word. You ever heard somebody ask, is the church sound? What are they asking? Depends on who you're talking to. Most people mean, is it very conservative? We'll talk about those words in a few minutes. Is it a place where KJV only? That some people mean that. That's King James Version. I'm sorry I use acronyms. Sometimes that happens. Sound means healthy. It's a healthy thing, and, and what happens is... Healthy teaching should not lead us to be arrogant. Should not lead us to be arrogant. Should lead, not lead us to go, wow, we are right, and you know what? Boy, I hate being right all the time. You ever met a Christian like this? They love being right. Can I tell you, being right never gives anybody the right to be a jerk. Ever. You want to turn somebody away from Christ? Be arrogant. Pride is concerned with who is white. Humility, who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. Take that in for just a second. It's what is right. It's God's Word. It's, it's what is right and making sure we hold to that standard. He said, because this is what people are going to do. He says, certain persons will be swerving and have wandered away into vain, dis vain discussion. Do you realize these three words here, there's nothing about being stable? You feel like you're behind what? A drunk driver. They're swerving. They're wandering. 
and it's pointless. They're not going anywhere. He said that's what happens when people take God's Word and do something else with it. That's where they end up. And he said the people who are doing this desire to be teachers of the law without understanding and either what they are saying about things which they make confident assertions. Isn't that interesting wording? These people want to be teachers, but they don't understand anything, but they're very confident in it. They're very confident in that. I love what Einstein says. said, the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. And I would say arrogance in ignorance. Several years ago, I, when I first started college, I remember going to an open forum at Freed Hardman University during lectureship. At that time, Brother Alan Hires was the moderator. <laughs> and there was something that I only saw happen once my entire time that he was a moderator is a student went up to ask a question. Brother Hires is slightly intimidating. He's also a federal judge, and, and, and uh, he was, uh, again, he was just an intimidating person. I, I've always, he's been great to me. And I remember a guy went up and he asked a question. Not only did he ask a question, there was a, a tinge of arrogance. It was a student who asked this. And I remember as soon as he stood up, we were all like, this is going to go badly. This is not going to end well. And I remember Brother Hires going, I don't think he called him son, but he said, you don't understand enough about the background information to fully even comprehend the answer if I were to give it to you. What did he tell him? You are ignorant on the subject. The guy had made some, some big, uh, very certain things when he asked this question. Now, what most people don't know is that after that, Brother Hires met with this young man privately several times and, and studied with him. But he was saying, in your inexperience, you haven't studied, you don't even know enough of the background about what you're asking to even be able to understand the answer I would give. Can you imagine going to a doctor that just never went to med school. He just put the sign up. And he really doesn't know what's going on. He just makes very confident. I'm sure this is what it is. Why? But he doesn't have the background training. He said that is what these false teachers are doing. They don't understand, but they're very confident about things. And what do they do? Many times people listen to confident people. And they're confidently wrong. He said, false teaching is filled with what? Theories and speculation, but what we should be is people of faith. And, and he goes on, if we went through, and we don't have time today to go through every false teaching they were dealing with in 1 Timothy, but he says this, here's what we're dealing with. The people are teaching a strange doctrine, an unhealthy doctrine. That's something contrary to Scripture. They're myths and endless genealogies. They're fruitless discussions. They have a shipwrecked faith. They are sourced in demons. These people are forbidding marriage. They're telling people to abstain from certain foods. They're paying attention to worldly fables versus Bible truth. They were advocating a different doctrine. They were, they were loving controversy. They were having disputes over words, and they were straying away from the faith. He's having to deal with all that, and the only way to deal with that is from the truth of God's Word. And he's told to fight the good fight. And, and the thing is, why does it matter to us? Because... Just like Ephesus needed a healthy church, Mount Juliet needs a healthy church. Mount Juliet needs a healthy congregation. 
A healthy church, and can I tell you, a healthy church comes from healthy teaching. Healthy, biblical teaching, teaching the truth in love. And it begins with everyone in this room knowing that Jesus is our Savior and our hope and our Lord. Can I tell you, our teaching has to start with that. Our church has to start with that, knowing that it is the church of Christ. It belongs to Him. And if it belongs to Him, then we have to realize He is our Savior. He is the only one who can take away sins, and He did take away those sins as He died on the cross. He is the one who can give us hope. He is not a hope. He is the one and only hope. The only hope of making it out of this world into eternity to be with the Father is Jesus. When he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And guess what? He must be our Lord. We must be willing to bow down before him. Healthy teaching starts with a healthy understanding of Jesus and who he is. Secondly, we want to have sound doctrine. That is what we teach is healthy according to Scripture, but it must lead to sound living. What did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? He ends with the story about the, the, the wise man builds his house on a rock, foolish man builds his house in the sand. What's the difference? One of these men, the man who builds his house on the rock, is the one who hears these words and doesn't. The one who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears these words and doesn't. See, healthy teaching must, we as listeners, must lead to healthy living. What do we need to do about false teaching? Well, we need to be able to recognize it. We need to be able to recognize when somebody teaches something that's contrary to Scripture. Since these people at this time did not have a a full Bible, what is it that they knew? What is it the apostles would, would pass down? Ephesians 4 says there's seven ones, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in all, through all, and above all. If we go through, and there's seven ones there, that is what would be passed down from church to church. If there is only one God, if there is only one baptism, it's for the remission of sins, there's only one faith, only one hope, one calling, just as you're called and the hope you're calling. All those things are there, that they would know those. And when we do recognize it, we rebuke it. How do we rebuke it? In love. And also we resist it. We have to be able, when we hear it, to go, no, and not do it. Why? Because it leads to death. It leads to chaos. It does not lead to certainty in faith in Christ. It does not lead there. I love what one person said. He said, here's what false doctrine is. False teaching, it's math. And some of y'all who hate math, you go, yes, false teaching is math. Got it? Um, It's addition. False teaching comes when we add to what God's Word has said. We see that all through Scripture. False teaching subtracts the deity of Christ. In other words, you try to take Christ out from being the Son of God. That's what a lot of teaching was during that time. It multiplies what? Works necessary for salvation. In other words, it puts a burden on that God never put on there, and then it does what? It divides the brethren. It's what false teaching does, but... When we think about this, I hear the words liberal or conservative. Can I tell you, those words aren't in Scripture. We should all be liberal according to Scripture, liberal givers. I hope you were a few minutes ago. 
Those are words that, that we use a lot. Can I tell you, the problem with those words is that it changes by who you're standing next to. It changes issue to issue. A lot of my family uh, has a non-institutional background. Non-institutional churches of Christ are those who do not believe in supporting orphans' homes out of the church treasury. Uh, they don't hate orphans. They just believe it should come out of their pocket, not the church treasury. Don't believe in eating inside the church building. Uh, they do not believe in youth ministry. Uh, there, there are several other things. Uh, not Shouldn't have a fellowship hall. Can I tell you, when I'm with them, I'm the most liberal person in the room because I was a youth minister. It was just one of those things. I also have people that if they heard me called that, they would laugh. It doesn't make sense. And the thing is, what we have to be careful of, one is using those terms a lot. Really, if we look at it, someone who would be liberal would be someone who unbinds where God is bound. Somebody who unbinds where God is bound. Somebody who is conservative, somebody who binds where God has not bound. Maybe you want to put ultra in front of those two, ultra, whatever. Here's the thing. They're both just as wrong. For whatever reason, it's been a whole lot easier to shoot at the left, he goes beyond, than it is to talk to those on the right who are binding where God is not bound. But Paul is telling people, hey, people are trying to bind things like the Jewish diet on you. No. They're binding where God has not bound. And then they're trying to loosen things uh, that God has not loosened either. We are to be what? We are to be people who, who want to be sound and who want to be with God and who want to follow what He says and take that. Why? Does it matter? Because this sound doctrine will lead to what? Sound living. See, the aim of our teaching, what, should, what it should lead to is a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is what, what teaching from God's Word should do. Why does it matter? Because what and how we teach impacts what we believe. And what we believe impacts how we live. And, and our teaching and beliefs must be constantly shaped by God's Word and the life of Jesus to lead to what? Spiritual health. What we teach and how we teach it must be from God's Word, and we must teach it in a healthy way. So that it'll lead to what? Love. Love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is what we want to do. And, and can I tell you, it matters. We want to be a healthy church. A healthy church of, of Christ. Why? Because that health is what people need. Sick people need to be healthy. Sick people need to know that there is a Savior, there is a great physician who can do what? Who can heal their spiritual sickness, who can give them the hope they need and the life they need and the Lordship they need. He wants to do that. And for us to be a healthy church, we have to be committed, just as Timothy was, to healthy teaching. Let us be people who are gracious and who are loving and love one another enough to open up God's Word and to be able to, to look at that and make sure what we're, we're, what we're looking at. We want to make sure that it is taught in a way that helps people to, 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 to understand and to be able to take from that and have a life that goes and makes a difference because everything starts and ends with Jesus. If people talk about our, our church here, what do we want them to say? Somewhere in their room, say, Jesus. 
They love Jesus. And, because, and they, they care about Jesus. They, they worship. They, there's something there that they see in realizing what? Psalm 39, 7. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. This morning, can we help you? Can we help you in your walk with God? See, healthy teaching leads people to Christ, and unhealthy teaching does not. I watched a documentary uh, Friday about a very famous uh, denominational preacher. Preached to thousands and thousands of people. Did countless good on this earth. I mean, it's amazing the things that he did. But they showed at the end of his lessons, if anybody would like to have Jesus as their Savior, would you raise your hand and say this prayer? Would you come down so we can, you can say that prayer? Here's the thing. That's unhealthy. That doesn't lead to life. Why? If we're going to be Jesus people, we're going to have to teach what Jesus taught. And Jesus says what? Go into all the world and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believeth not is condemned. What does it mean? Healthy teaching leads to life. And that is where we want to lead people, to eternal life. If we can help you to walk in him today and help you with that life, maybe you want to be baptized today, we'd love for that to happen. Maybe today you, you want us to pray with you and for you, and we would love to do that. We can help you this morning. Would you come now while we stand and while we sing? Thank <laughs> you.